I'm ready. I've got my, uh, my notes. I've got my Kleenex. So I'm ready. I'm, uh, I, I, like, I like watching people. I like learning about people. And I, I'm intrigued with uh, the rich and famous. Maybe not for the same reasons that some people like the rich and famous. I don't, I don't necessarily envy them. And what I'd like to do is, uh, when somebody dies that's well-known, I got a little bit of a... I like to read about how they died, because how they died has a lot to do with how they lived. And, you know, I've, I've read about Whitney Houston and uh, Robin Williams. Um, I've read about Jerry Lewis. He was, died recently. Um, another one was uh, Eva Gabor. No, it was Zsa Zsa. Who is kind of your modern day modern day Paris Hilton or your Kardashian group? And and the common theme that seems to come out of so many of the rich and famous is is broken relationships, broken marriages, broken relationships with business, with business people, with managers. It's despair and addiction. And and I'm intrigued with that because part of it is our society looks to these people as that they've made it, that these people are at the pinnacle of what we could aspire for as, as people living this life. Can we get rid of that? Uh, I'm not sure uh, if I've got to move my mic. I don't know if you can EQ it out. but um, And so I'm intrigued, and I'm intrigued also with in our culture nowadays. I mean, apparently one in six people... Uh, women are on some kind of a drug to help them with uh, emotional issues, with stress and anxiety. Apparently one in eight. Now, can I believe those numbers? Even if they're half that, it's still an alarming number. Um, and this, this, this overdose crisis that we're seeing in our society, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to set the stage that when we get away from the plan that God has for us, the further we get away from that plan, we find ourselves in a bad place. And the, the society that we live in now doesn't even know where to turn. People are looking for social liberties to help solve the problems. They want government to fix the, um, the overdose crisis. And you know, it's, um, it's not just out there. It's right here. And I don't want to put anything on you if this is not you. But I know me, and what I want to talk about today is actually, I've been working on this message for 30 years. And I know what it's like to run on a treadmill and not feel like you're running fast enough. I know what it's like to feel like the world's got you by the tail and it's spinning you around and you don't know where to focus. I know what it's like to lock myself in my room as an adult, as a father, as a husband because I couldn't face trying to run on that treadmill anymore. Some of you know the struggles that I've had. And I've had a good life. I've had good parents. I've had a good home. I've got a good job. And you know, in contrast... I hear the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 30:15, and he says, 
in repentance and rest, you find your salvation. In quietness and trust, you find your strength. So what is this rest that Isaiah is talking about? What is this rest that seems to elude not only those out there, but so many of us that actually walk with the Lord? And I've got to go back to the, the beginning. And a few of you are looking at your watch, because yes, I'm going to Genesis. And in Genesis, uh, on the seventh day, God said, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. So I want to talk about three kinds of rest this morning. The first one is to rest from your work. It would be what we would call the Sabbath rest. And why did God have to rest on the seventh day? The seventh day was, uh, uh, he finished first day, second, the, the six days of creation. And the seventh day he said he rested, but his, his work in creation was not hard for him. He just spoke the word. He just spoke the word. So what did he, what, what, why did he rest? And, and rest being a foundation of the very beginnings of, who, of what he's asked us to do, his creation was effortless. So God rested, for starters, your work has to be done before you can rest. And God's work was done. He was complete in, in, bringing, uh, in speaking his creation into being. He also rested and he took pleasure in the labor that he did. He, he, he delighted in his creation. And he said that God, uh, God saw everything that he made and, made and behold, it was very good. There is also a rhythm of rest in creation. He designed creation so that there would be day and night and that, that at nighttime it would rest. There is the seasons, there is summer and winter. He created rest in his creation. So we live in a culture of busyness. And I know that some people say, you know, you, I just have to keep busy. And I just go, my heart actually aches because I don't want to just keep busy. I've been there. I want to live with purpose. You can go on a vacation and not find rest. You probably know that. You probably come back more exhausted from a vacation sometimes than, than uh, before you left. And then you go back to work and, and there you are. Um, habitual restlessness. I don't know if any of you have got... I'm not, I'm not, I don't see anything right now, but you might just sort of have that foot going right now. Just kind of... And I do it sometimes, you know. And, and I just encourage you, if you've got that going on, just stop. Just stop now. Just, just rest. Our electronics. I probably don't need to go into it. But when I ride in the car, I often don't turn the radio on anymore. Uh, I like the quiet. I like to actually just rest in the, in the, in the quietness. So the Sabbath rest is about not just resting the body and stopping. It's about also resting the mind. It's actually allowing the mind to, um, to unfile 
all the things that have come into the mind, it actually allows us to put in perspective the things that we've seen, the things we've been involved in, discussions that we've had. And uh, that stopping is so important. So I'm going to go into Hebrews. And, and the passage in Hebrews, I've got to say that I... Uh, I picked it, and it's really a launch pad for the message, but I actually don't spend that much time in there. It's, it, Hebrews is, is an amazing book. Um, it's absolutely a fabulous book. It's so deep and so rich. And, and it just happens that Ev is doing this... Pa- actually, she's doing the passage before. She's doing Hebrews 3 in, in Wednesday night Bible study. And I would encourage you to go because you're probably going to get into maybe the actual passage that's been the, the launch pad for this, but I'm actually not going to spend that much time in Hebrews. Um, but let's talk about the Hebrew people. And there are people, they were God's chosen people. And this is what the passage is writing a lot of. It takes you back to the time of Moses and the time of, of coming out of exile. So they were chosen people, and we came from um, Adam to, to Noah to Abraham and the promise that God had, and we had the, the Hebrew people, and, and from there they went into slavery in Egypt, and I think it was probably over a course, a quarter, a course of maybe 500 years, uh, and from there they were delivered, and they came through the Red Sea, and they landed in the desert. And it was in this place that God was actually working with them. He was actually disciplining His people, preparing them for the promise that He had prepared for them, the land of Canaan. These were people that were dependent on agriculture. That's what they knew. So, and they were living in a desert. And so God started to prove to them right from the very beginning. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. And this is where the Sabbath rest was actually initiated. And, and he would give, God would give them like dew every night would come and it would be like the, ma- the, 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 ma- the manna that would come. And every morning they could wake up and they could take the manna that they needed. And every day it would come. And when it came to the sixth day, he says, I want you to take enough manna for two days. And if they took the manna for two days, they had enough for Sunday. But if they ever took more manna other than on the sixth day, the manna would, the manna would, uh, it would rot, it would uh, go moldy. They couldn't keep it. But on the sixth day, they could do it so that they could rest on the seventh. He was teaching them as people that knew agriculture, that knew that work meant food on the table. He was teaching them that, no, I want you to stop one day and trust me. Trust me on this one day. Now, actually, I won't go into that yet. That's later on. So that was, the, that was where he established the, the idea of the Sabbath. And it was, it was that I want you to trust me that I will take care of you. Trust me to be able to stop. Trust me to be able to stop. It was a blessing, but also a test. Because God wanted to know, will you, will you obey me? So that's the first type of rest, is, is the, the Sabbath rest that God established with, with Egypt, uh, with, sorry, with Israel, the Hebrew people as they were in the desert. The second type of rest is to cease from spiritual striving. God, in the beginning, he rested because he knew where he was going. He knew where he fit in existence. There was no surprises for him. 
for his future. He could rest in knowing God could stand back on the timeline and he can see time from beginning to end. And so he rested in knowing that he was secure in his destiny. To me, it's kind of like getting on a river and going down a river that you don't know where the dangers are in the river and you're on a raft that you can't control. And you may be in beautiful scenery, but somehow you're never going to rest not knowing when you're going to get yourself into danger. And life is like that if we don't know our destiny. I've got a Muslim friend and he's uh, a dear friend of mine. He's a young man and he's been very, very transparent with me and shares uh, what, what's going on in his life. And, I, and I've shared the Lord with, with him. But, but he talks about death as being um, two angels and, and there's the stone over top of the casket. And the two angels, the one is the dark one and one is the white angel. And it depends on how much you've done in your life that's been right, that's been according to the Quran, that, that's followed Allah, of doing your duties. That would determine how strong the white angel is. Because the, the dark angel is also looking at all the mistakes you make. And at the end of his life, he's going to find himself in the grave. And he won't know if he can get out of the grave until these two angels have their battle to see who's strong enough to pull the stone back from the grave. And he lives that way all the time. And when things are going well and he feels that he's doing well in serving um, Allah, his God, he feels confident. And when things aren't going well, not only on the difficulties of life, does he deal with, but he also then deals with the thinking that he's also empowering the dark angel. We cannot rest if we don't know our destiny. When I'm in the hospital, I was in the hospital with Carol, Carol and her, her dad. Her dad passed away this this um, early this summer, and and I just remember a, a, a social worker coming in and she said. Um, can I, um, I think you know that, that Dave is not doing well, but is there, is there anybody that I can call a man of faith that can come and he can be here with you? And Carol's mom said, um, we're people of faith and we don't need anybody, thank you. And it wasn't out of anything negative at all. Their pastor was away on vacation. But as the four of us sat in the room, there was complete peace. There was complete sense of fulfillment in that place of knowing the destiny that Carol's dad had. After this, this is in John 19, after this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The work is finished. God finished the work in creation at the beginning. Jesus finished the work of redemption at the cross. We can rest in our redemption. O death, where is your sting? 
in repentance and rest, you find your salvation. In quietness and trust, you find your strength. And the first one is the most exciting for me. See, on the seventh day, of course, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The third type of rest is being established in the presence of God. So the, the first type of rest in this would be, it's actually a double meaning. The first is God rested. God rested in who he was. He contained all that he contained all that he needed in perfection. He contained perfect love. He contained complete security. He contained complete safety, perfect peace, abundant joy. He was delighted in his creation. He was complete in purpose. And you might even say, most respectfully, he was full of himself. And I can handle that. He was there with Jesus. You knew Jesus was there in the beginning. Got Jesus being the Word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, the spoken Word of creation. Jesus was the spoken Word of creation in the beginning when it was created. And if we go back earlier, that the, that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters right in the very beginnings when God created the heavens and the earth. The Trinity, the, the three and one were together in unity and there was rest. There was rest in that unity, in that relationship. And the second part of, of being established in the presence of God is it's a bit of a play on words. God rested as in he stopped working and he rested in himself but the other thing would be like taking a cup and resting it on a table God rested on his creation he put a hand on creation it's like putting a hand on your child and blessing your child he put his hand he rested on creation he put his fingerprints on us The other interesting thing about dwelling in his presence is what it doesn't say in Genesis 2 on the seventh day. The very beginning in Genesis 1-3, the beginning of the creation story, John, uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was the spoken word. Let there be light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So what's missing on the seventh day? There's no evening and there's no morning. Because his rest was not designed to stop on the seventh day. His rest um, went on forever. The seventh day never ended. There was no beginning to it. There was no end to it. 
This type of rest, the Hebrews, you will hear the Hebrews passage, is called today. As long as we're in today, we're in the place where we can enter into that rest of being established in the presence of God. It's different from a Sabbath rest, a physical rest, resting the mind, of stopping and trusting God for provision. It's different from the eternal hope we have, which is a later time. The physical rest is a set time. It's a pattern that God wants us to have. The, 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 um, the eternal hope that we have is something that's in the future. But the rest that we're talking about being established in its presence is a rest that's today. It happens right now. It happens the moment that we live. The Hebrews, they had a sense of that. I mean, they had the, the fire the fire by night and the cloud by day that hovered over them in the desert, they had a sense of the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he showed himself, he showed that kind of rest to them as well. So that's the third type of rest. In repentance and rest, we find our salvation. In quietness and trust, we find our strength. So what does it look like? How does it come together? Well, my son was trying to get a job. Um, he, he had been working and he decided that he wanted to make a shift in, in, his, in what he was going to do in a career. And, and he, um, he was in town and he was feeling at a loss. So he applied and he, he had an incredible resume for a young man at the time. And he applied for a job. It was a changing oil at one of the car dealerships. And I mean, it's online now. I mean, within two hours, he got a response. Please come in. He went in. They offered him a job. He um, he came home and he said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I says, well, how come? He says, well, they're offering me a job. I should take it. And I said, well, maybe. What's the job? He says, well, it's a lube mechanic. I said, do you want to be a lube mechanic? Well, not really. Do, it, will it, there is potential to be an apprentice? They didn't say. I said, would you like to be an auto mechanic? Not really. Does it, does it pay well? Is it something that's going to help establish you? Um, no, it's just minimum wage and i got to provide my own tools. And I said, well, why do you want the job? He said, because I have to work. I need to work. And I said, how come? I said, are you desperate? And he didn't know how to answer the question. This is the same dad that was trying to boot him off the couch uh, time, times ago. And, and he heard growing up, if he, a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. But he, I said, are you desperate? And he didn't know how to answer the question. And he was quiet. And I said, David, you're not desperate. You're not desperate. I said, you've got a roof over your head. You've got a meal. I said, you're taken care of. I said, what do you want to do? I don't know. I said, you can do anything you want. You could be a pastor. You could be an electrician. You could be an airline pilot. You could go back to school. Or you could be a lube mechanic if you choose to. He didn't take the job. And I'm glad he didn't. Fear is a very poor teacher. Fear is a very poor teacher. When we make decisions out of fear, I've worked in a work environment when there is fear on a, work, on a workplace. We don't make good decisions for the business. We don't make decisions for ourselves. Fear is a very poor teacher. 
And what David had for me is, for starters, he had security. He knew that he was going to be taken care of. He also had my approval. And the third thing is, he had a vision and a hope for the future. And all of those elements are things that, that, that God desires us to have as we enter his rest. But the hard part of this message is, no, I won't go to the hard part yet. I'm going to save that. Maybe I will. <laughs> okay. And here's the hard part. And you heard the passage read in Hebrews. So what we can learn about the Hebrews and the rest that God made. You can, from what I'm trying to describe is how lovingly and caringly God made rest as a foundation of who we are and how he displays his goodness on his people. And the Hebrews, they began to complain and fight amongst themselves in the desert. They got tired of the manna. They got tired of waiting and they set up idols of other gods made of wood and stone and metal. And they worshipped these other gods. And after taking them through the Red Sea and the miracles that he did, the Hebrews refused to enter into the land that was promised. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you harden, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tried and tested me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. And you know what? They never did. That generation died and died in the desert. Moses died in the desert. They never did see the promise that God had prepared for them. The place of entering into His rest in the promised land. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, this is carrying on in Hebrews, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So now he's speaking to the Hebrew people in the day of, in, in the early biblical times. He's speaking, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to these people. And they're also the Hebrews. They're from the same descendant from, they're basically the, Jew, the, the Jewish Christians that lived in the day. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. It takes me to the... I think of Mary and Martha. And Mary... Um, Martha actually... It seems like she probably owned the house. They talk about it being Mary's, uh, Martha's house. She's the oldest one. This is in Luke 10:39. They live in a place called Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And um, Martha was there. She had her sister Mary. Mary was the same woman who um, wept on Jesus' feet. She, she cleaned his feet with her hair. 
She's also the same woman that broke the alabaster jar perfume over him. Their brother also, um, he was Lazarus. He was the one that was raised from the dead. And, and they lived together in this house. As I said, I assume Martha owns it. She's probably the oldest sister. And Jesus used to hang out there. I don't know how much, but it sounds like maybe a fair bit. It was, a, it was close to Jerusalem, but it was also a comfortable place to be. And as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I could just kind of see Jesus and I can just see him. He was just, Martha, Martha. You know, I can just see it. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken from her. And Jesus was actually so gentle with Martha. And I, and I, and I, just, I can hear his heart. But at the same time, he was concerned with Martha because she was, she was stuck in the responsible role of being the oldest sister and the one holding only in the home. But she didn't stop long enough to actually um, visit with him. We might say that Martha had form and Mary had substance. Martha was like the glass and Mary had the water in the glass. Israel in, in the desert, they had the glass. They had the form. They knew the Sabbath rest. They were actually forced to abide by the Sabbath, but they did not believe. And their glass was empty. And they did not enter his rest because they had an empty glass. They had the form, but they didn't have the substance. So don't confuse the desert and the discipline with the promise. They got stuck in the desert and they never saw the promise. And sometimes I think we settle for the desert. Sometimes I think we settle for the discipline. But we fail to enter into his promise. Egypt would be those that are lost. They're, they're, they're lost from Christ. They don't know Christ. The desert would be the discipline of those who come into the family but have not have not yielded to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord. They have the form, but they don't have the substance. And the promised land would be actually to dwell in his presence, to dwell in his rest. So what was it? What did they not have, or what did they have that caused them to go against all that God had set up for them? And ultimately, it was, um, it was unbelief. They didn't believe that God was who he said he was. He didn't be, they didn't believe that God's promises, he, that God would back up his promises. 
Unbelief is a denial of everything God says he is. Failing to enter God's rest is to refuse his plan and his provision for our lives. And this is a hard this is a hard this is a hard word. There is no honor in failing to enter God's rest. As we strive as we strive to do it on our own, there is no honor. Our tough road in unbelief and rebellion doesn't please him in the least. I think of the the word that came to Saul on the Damascus road and and when Jesus showed up to him and he says don't kick against the goad and the goad would be the ox goad that that the um the the oxman would would probe the oxen to to get them to go where he wanted and when the oxen would kick against it the rather than it being a poke the goad would be driven into the flesh of the oxen and so he's saying don't kick against the goad he's saying to to Saul on the Damascus road and and we can be the same they were the same in the desert they kicked against the goad and they had hard hearts and they would not turn and this is a big one for me as i remember struggling for years and and seeing all the problems god doesn't hear I shouldn't say God doesn't hear. God hears our problems and our complaints. He cares, but God does not respond to our problems and our complaints. He responds to faith. So what do we need to do? Does this sound too hard? I tell what's hard is running on that treadmill. That's hard. I've been there. In repentance and rest, you find your salvation. In quietness and trust, you find your strength. The Hebrews refuse to repent. They refuse. Repenting is when we're going in a direction and we find ourselves going this way, repenting is doing a 180 turn and going this way. So what does it mean for us today? What do we actually do with this message? Yeah, I, I, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a message with so much hope. But on the other side, it can seem like a hard message. Because when you are trying and when you're striving and you're going, is this not good enough for you, God? Do you want something more? Actually, what he wants is us. What he wants is our hearts. What he wants us to do is to turn and believe him. Turn and believe him. Believe his word. Believe what he said. And I think of the words of Jesus that said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The question is, what yoke do you have on? Is your yoke easy and your burden light? Or do you have a heavy yoke? And do you have a heavy burden? Because if you have a heavy yoke and a heavy burden, I'll tell you this morning, it's not the yoke of Jesus. 
So how do we respond to a God who's prepared such a beautiful thing for us? It is so counter to the culture that we live in. It's actually counter to what a lot of us in our experiences, even in church, or the, the pressures that we put on ourselves of somehow trying to measure up, somehow trying to achieve. Our striving is to be in one area. This is strive after rest. It says it right in Hebrews. Strive for my rest. There's other places that you'll find God saying strive for his peace. Strive for his presence. We aren't to strive for anything else. Our work is to enter his rest. That is our work. The rest of it is not supposed to be work. The rest of it is walking in his rest. Doesn't mean that there's not hard places. Doesn't mean that we don't have to push through. It doesn't mean we don't have to contend. It means that in whatever situation we're in, that we can trust him, even to the point of death. And even as I was preparing this two nights ago, I was struggling trying to. I've, as I say, I've been writing this for 30 years, and I have all these notes and. Um, and I wasn't at a place of rest. There was, there was things that were eating at me. And, and I, I'm concerned about our church. I'm concerned about where we are in our church. I'm concerned about other things that are out in the community and relational issues. And there were some things that, that just came to... I, 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 didn't have, I knew I didn't have rest. You know when you don't have rest. You feel it in every cell of your body. You feel the tightness in your chest. You, you feel a lack of energy. You know when you aren't walking in rest. You end up with those conversations going on in your head that you can't turn off. Or is that just me? Is that No? You can't turn them off. You'll get into an argument with some imaginary person or some person who's not imaginary. Why are you guys laughing? It's not funny. And... And I could, not, I could not put this together because I, I, how can I deliver a message on rest if I am not in a place of rest? And Carol and I, we went out. I said, Carol, you've got to come up. We need to. And I just put it aside and, and we went in our bedroom. We lay on the carpet. And I put some worship music on and, and Carol prayed over me and then I repented. I went through the areas where I was feeling anxious and the things where I was feeling afraid or angry or disappointed or disillusioned and I started to repent of those things and I said, sorry Lord, sorry. I turn from those things and I turn to you and I say, Lord, I trust you. I trust your word. I trust everything that you've done for me and there's been no thing that you've done to me to this point in my life that I believe that you're not trustworthy. And when we ask, he delivers I felt his peace come on me. I felt his rest come on me. The mind that I could not turn off and the arguments or the... It, it, it turned off. I was able to enter his rest. Now there's times, that was actually harder than other times. I've, many times I've said, Lord, I, I rebuke this. I turn from this place and I turn to you and I turn to faith in you and, and I instantly those, those, those um, thoughts, those arguments, 
those anxieties are gone. And sometimes we have to contend for them. But strive, strive to enter his rest. So has life got you by the tail? Spinning you around? Are you running on a treadmill? I bet you there's people here because I know that I've been there and I I bet you there's some people here that probably feel that way. We're not people trying to scrape by to pay the rent. But we're kids that sit at our Father's table. He is our provider. We can stop. We're allowed to stop. We're allowed to stop and take a break from trying to strive to make it work. If you're struggling, if you're struggling and think you've got to work more and more, I know what it's like to work more and more overtime. I know what it's like. We're allowed to stop. He wants us to stop. He wants us to stop and trust Him. Jesus said it's finished. The work is finished. His redemption plan is complete. So this is a kind of a bit of a risk for me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it anyways, and I'm going to ask for a response. And it's not a response to me. I'm not asking that. You don't need to affirm me. You don't have to affirm my message. But I'm asking for a response for those who feel that they're running on a treadmill, that they don't know how to stop, they're scared to stop, and they want to change and they want to trust Jesus. I would invite you stand up. Just bless you. Bless you. Bless you. And now I want to talk to those who, you could stay standing if, if you don't mind. I want to talk to those that are striving spiritually. You may have been coming to this church for years. This may be your first time. But you may not know assurance of your salvation. Your destiny may be unclear and you cannot walk in rest not knowing that you are actually in the Father's hands and that He's actually got eternal purpose and eternal destiny for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know Him as your Savior, I'd encourage you to stand if you want to receive Him and receive His rest. And the the third area, of course, was to be established in His presence. That you know Christ. You've known Christ for years. But you don't know what it is to be established in His presence. And that you want to learn how to turn off that voice that accuses you or accuses someone else. That you want to know how to turn off that anxiety and actually allow your body to actually relax and, and to allow yourself to actually come into a place of rest. That we don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough worries of its own, which doesn't mean we worry about today. It means that we trust Him with today, but we don't have grace for tomorrow. We only have grace for today. If that's you, if you want to walk into the fullness of His presence, I would encourage you to stand. And I believe that it's a symbolic act. If, if you would be so accommodating to me, is if we could do an act of repentance together. If we could all turn 
this way and face the wall. And, and I say, Lord, we repent from our unbelief. We repent from trying to do things on our own. We repent from striving for things that are not you. And we turn and we turn and everybody can turn with me and we turn and we face you and we say, Lord, we trust you. We trust your word. We trust your promises. We trust the destiny that you have for us. We trust that you're good in everything that you have and you only have good things for your children. We repent of our hard hearts and of us walking in independence from you. Thank you. I'm just going to finish off. You can be seated if you like. Um, I'd encourage you, we're going to be having communion here shortly and um, the prayer team will be available for ministry. Uh, if, if you want to pray through this some more, I, I would encourage you to don't let it go. To spend time in prayer on your own to spend time with others and praying through this. As you come to the table, he says, remember me. And, and remember is what you've just done as, as you've repented. In the words of, of David, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they blast and with the hearts they curse. Yet my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly He's my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor Depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Thank you, Lord, for your word.